Welcome to the Working Mama podcast, a show that provides real-world tips, tricks, and advice to all working mamas on how they can have a career, family, and hopefully one day break the glass ceiling. My name is Karina O'Brien, a fellow working parent trying to manage the juggle. Each week, we'll be looking at all things related to working parents with special guests and solo episodes to help you navigate the world of having children and a career. Welcome, mamas. I hope you are having a great day. Today, I have with us Dr. Robin Miller, who is a pediatrician, but she's actually starting a side hustle around the mental load, and that's what we'll be chatting about today. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. And so, welcome, Robin. Thank you, Karina. So, without further ado, Robin, how would you best describe yourself? It's always a bit of a tricky interview question, isn't it? Yes, it is. <laughs> Look, professionally, um, as you say, I'm a children's doctor and I love caring for children and working with kids and their families. And then I also really enjoy the aspect of medicine that's around problem solving, you know, sitting down after you sort of hear what's going on for patients and their sort of symptoms and signs and then trying to work out, you know, a diagnosis, what's going on there. And then working out a solution for that, you know, what can we do to try and make things better? And then personally, um, I'm a mother. I have an 18-month-old daughter and a two-year-old puppy. I'm also a wife, I'm a sister, a daughter, and a friend. And to me, all those relationships are really, really important. And so in a bit of a combination of both these things last year, I set up my own business. And that was in response to sort of identifying this problem in the division of invisible labour, which is also known as emotional labour, or you might have heard of the mental load. And that was something that I identified personally. Um, and I could see that it was impacting me personally, just in terms of, you know, my ability to enjoy everyday things, but also professionally and my ability to sort of move forward in my career and, you know, do a little bit more than just, you know, the day-to-day jobs that you sort of have to do at work but also that sort of career building stuff that you know is part of I guess being a young professional and so I sort of thought oh this all this invisible load all this extra stuff that's going on in my head is really kind of holding me back and how can I how can I sort of work out what to do about this so I you know did a bit of googling and I asked some friends and asked some colleagues and look all the mums I talked to could relate to it, but no one really had a, a solution for it or sort of anything that they'd been able to do to get, you know, beyond that. And that was when I thought, well, how about I try and work out a strategy? You know, I've got, you know, a background in, in medicine and in working with families and family therapy. I've also, you know, done a master's in organisational management. Surely there must be a way we can, we can work this out. And so... That was when I sort of worked out this strategy that I came up with. And then I sort of didn't expect it to work. But when it did and sort of kept working, I thought, oh, this could be something of value to lots of other women and their families. So that's when I moved on to researching ways to actually share my knowledge and share my strategy. And that's how the Mental Load Project was formed. Fantastic. I can't wait to to get into that real topic um, shortly. Uh, You've talked just now about career and obviously still wanting to to be a mama and have a career. What's been your career pathway to date in in becoming a doctor? So I started medicine straight out of high school, uh, but I did a combined arts medicine degree, which is not particularly common and only offered in a couple of universities in Australia. Um, So I went through um, University of New South Wales in Sydney and really the arts was just something fun to do at the time but I think it sort of reflects the fact that I always had this kind of broad interest in different things and things outside of medicine itself as well and so after I graduated that was seven years of study after I graduated I did my internship and always sort of knew I wanted to work with children but also wanted to do some work overseas so um, early on in, in my career, I worked for Medicine Sans Frontiers, oh, wow. MSF, in Africa for a year. And then came back and sort of thought, no, I really want to, you know, become a paediatrician. I really want to um, 
progress my career here in Australia. And so that's when I started formal paediatric training. And I've still got another two years full time to go of that, so six year program. So this mental load project as a business has come up really as a bit of a surprise or an accidental sort of thing, if you say. Um, and as you sort of said, it's a side hustle, it's a side project while I'm still working to finish my paediatric training and, and also, you know, as you say, be a mum. Um, but I guess starting it was just in recognition to the fact that I thought I've got an idea. I think it's one of the best ideas I've ever had. I think it can help other people. So I want to, I want to share it. And I, you know, as a doctor working in a public hospital, I had no marketing experience and no sort of business know-how whatsoever. So I thought, oh, well, what do you do when you, you know, want to get a message out there? And I started a blog. No one read it. I think I had two readers <laughs> after the first couple of, <laughs> first couple of um, issues. And so then I sort of went back to the drawing board and thought, if I started it more as a business and a course, then uh, both it would give me a little bit more, um, I guess, sense of ownership over it and a bit more of a sort of project sort of sense to it. And also, uh, to, you know, to allow me to invest more in, my, in terms of my own time and, um, and finances into it. But also on the other side, to also, um, in having it as an online course and a course that I teach to people, then people are already more invested in project and learning something new when they read about it and when they hear about it as opposed to just you know reading a blog on a Sunday night kind of thing. Yeah there certainly is a big difference um, between that and um, so why don't we go into understanding we, we hear about the mental load and um, the invisible labor how do you define it? So look I define mental load as I guess all of those things that you keep in your head all of those things that you have to think about just to keep the household running whether it's remembering dates birthdays times appointments you know noticing something that is running out keeping tabs on where everyone is and who's going where booking appointments working out social activities there's another term emotional labor which I mentioned before and to me it's quite synonymous with the mental load but the definition of emotional labor is sort of all the things you do to make sure everyone else is at ease. So, you know, buying presents for birthdays, planning meals, paying bills on time, just all the things that sort of have to happen to keep things going and keep everyone sort of happy and comfortable. So I think of emotional labor as all of those things that need to sort of happen to keep people at ease, comfortable, happy. And then the mental load as all of the brain space that has to be taken up to achieve that and so are you through some of your research are you finding that it's generally the primary caregiver such as the mother that predominantly takes on that mental load particularly with a new child this week uh, my sister's just had a baby and I'm even seeing as well like as a new mum, we've all gone through it that everyone looks instantly to the mother of okay what's happening with the child are they feeding sleeping pooing weeing every that suddenly falls almost instantaneously onto the mother um, so is that also what you're finding that even from the moment probably even that you conceive women are having that emotional labor and also that mental uh, load as well just part of almost that mothering instinct look definitely there's there's that side of it and that you know obviously when you're pregnant it's going to be the hospital that's calling you for the appointments and it's you know happening to your body and there's a sort of a, a biological difference there and but I think, I think two things. One is that it often happens in relationships, especially heterosexual relationships, even before there's a child. And secondly, it sort of continues on even after there's a real biological difference there. So to go back to the first point about it happening even earlier on, I think there's a lot of research showing that there's this social conditioning that, you know, as girls growing up and as women we're just sort of taught and not in any formal sense but just in lots of sort of informal ways to take on more of the emotional labor just to keep everyone you know comfortable when you're out or you know remembering to write cards at Christmas and you know all things that are you know useful and valid but there is sort of a gendered 
difference in, um, and this is what the research shows, in what happens even from a very young age. But, um, you know, and then when you have a partner and, you know, even before children, then you often, if you think about times before children, there's often a gender difference there where, you know, the woman is more likely to be in contact with the real estate, you know, if the lease is up or if there's a problem with the plumber or, you know, the plumbing and they need to contact the plumber through the real estate. And it's often, you know, you that as a woman who's getting the phone calls and trying to organize that, or, you know, even when you get married, if you think about like who organized the thank you cards to your guests after your wedding, they're all sort of emotional labor things helping, you know, social niceties, keeping everyone at ease and not saying it's not important, but it often, there is just a gendered imbalance there where it often falls to the woman. So what I see and what a lot of people tell me is that there's probably an imbalance um, prior to having children, but then after having a baby, it's kind of a slippery slope into quite an imbalance. And some of that is sort of the, you know, biological differences of you know the woman is being being the one who's carried the baby given birth to the baby um more in charge of feeding the baby usually to then the fact that she's then taken more time off work around the birth of the baby and so just tends to have a bit more of that know-how of where things are what do you do with the baby how do you fill the days you know when the next immunizations are due but then what often doesn't happen is any rebalance of that once the woman returns to work. And that's often really where you start realising of, I used to do all these things on leave and I'm now just as busy and even more busy being back at work. Yeah, suddenly you don't have, you know, all your time isn't just devoted to keeping the household running, but the household still needs to keep running whilst you know, you hold down however many hours of paid, you know, employment you have or whatever business sort of um, endeavour you have that needs to keep going too. Yeah, and it's usually the mother that's choosing the childcare and um, there's, so, there's such a long list that it's not really until you stop and reflect going, oh, yeah, okay, we're doing quite a lot here. Yeah, oh, and, and there are things that are, you know, just... It, you know, because I'm sort of so into making sure everything's balanced now, but, like, I... um between my husband and I, we tried to organize a childcare this week for our daughter and, you know, all the Centrelink stuff for the subsidy is in my name and it can't be changed to his name at all. So even though it was something that we determined would be fall into his, you know, plate, then, you know, structurally Centrelink said, oh no, that's, you know, that's already linked to the woman's account because the woman's been the one who's had the baby. And often it's the mum's name who's, you know, the mum's contact details is at the doctor's surgery. So you're the one who gets the updates for the vaccinations or the next appointments. And, you know, and even, you know, schools and daycares, even if both parents' numbers are listed, there is a bit of a tendency for people to assume, you know, and just feel more comfortable for whatever reason calling the mother first, even when both numbers are listed. Yeah, even though, like, often I always get the call, even though even that maybe that day my husband's done drop off in the morning so, and he would be visible of, but no, they'll, mm. they will call the mother first. It's interesting that that gender, uh, as you say, it's ingrained in you from a very young age. I think um, I once heard this stat, mm. it was, I was at a workshop, uh, I think it was from the moment you start giving pocket money. There's even a small delineation about, uh, from an, from, even from an equal pay perspective, I've heard it starts with pocket money. Oh, well, even, um, yeah, I, I grew up, I've got two sisters, so I didn't have any sort of difference. But no, there's quite a lot of evidence to show that, yeah, in terms of household chores that kids are given, what, what um, you know, sisters are given or daughters are given, it's different from what sons and brothers are given, just even in terms of that kind of domestic labour. And, and so much is subconscious. So unless you sit down and really analyse it, it just kind of happens and you don't realize. And for a lot of women, you know, they get to sort of a certain point in their life and it's been manageable or it's sort of not been a thing until you just get to that point where it's like, no, just this isn't manageable anymore or this isn't fair and, and something needs to change. So if you're in that scenario, uh, obviously you've, you've just had a child and you're about to go back to work and look, returning back to work is a challenge in itself because there's so many 
emotional and uh, mm. you know so many different fo- um, balls that you need to juggle uh certainly there's a big emotional aspect what's then to if you're then going right as a female being the primary caregiver if you've been the one taking parental leave how can you start to sort of go right i want to draw a line in the sand and even start a conversation with your partner to say look i think we've got to even up the tables here a little bit more yeah and it, that's that can be really tricky because up until recently i don't think we really had much of a language around mental load and you know even when i talk about mental load now to a lot of people once I explain it they're like oh okay I get it but it's it's still a relatively new concept and so I think in the past when we've tried to you know divvy up household jobs you've kind of divvied up jobs from okay well can you do this and I'll do this can you do this and I'll do this you know someone might be responsible for you know the pickup on a set of day or someone might be responsible for dinner you know on a set of night and what tends to happen is a lot more sort of delegation. So, oh, can you do this? Or are you able to, you know, book the car in for a service? Or are you able to, you know, um, buy that present because we're going to our nephew's party this weekend or whatever it might be, you know, asking for a specific task to be done. And so the actual task physically is divided, but the mental energy and organization and planning so the mental load hasn't been shared and so what I sort of encourage couples to think about is not not just dividing physical tasks and and delegating sort of jobs but actually dividing the tasks from the get-go so someone is responsible entirely for x you know someone is responsible entirely for making sure the car is serviced twice a year once a year whatever your car requires someone is responsible for making sure that the electricity bills are paid all the time and that person receives all the correspondence about it they receive you know they make all the phone calls do whatever's required for that job from the you know conceptualization of the task they're thinking about it the planning the organization through to actually doing it and in that way the mental load and that initial planning, which is actually work in itself, is divided. It's not just sort of this delegation where one person has all the information in their head and then just sort of shoots off little bits of, you know, tasks to someone else. You sort of want to get to the point where if you think of the mental load as a sort of physical object in your head and just download it all and then look at it all and then divide it equally at that point rather than at the sort of delegation point i've already had some podcasts around budgeting and it's sitting down reviewing the budget together and agreeing on that way forward is the mental load and discussing that the tasks and essentially running a household is it also sitting down with your partner to you both even write out a list of what you're doing and and even what some of your worries and stresses are and then talking about it together. Because I could imagine, uh, even with some cultural backgrounds, there might be some people saying, well, I'm not going to do drop-off, or I'm not going to do nappy changes. But how do people then start? Because it can be probably at times a difficult conversation. Um, is there ways to get that conversation started and also making sure that it doesn't turn into an argument, but both parties then walk away with an agreement on how to move forward? I think what you said about having it as a discussion and having it as a sort of a set time when you talk about it is certainly something that I strongly encourage and that that I teach as part of my program because what often happens is, you know, you chip away doing all these things all the time and it just eats away at you until, you know, you might snap over something that really seems quite insignificant to your partner. For example, one of the things when, you know, when we were struggling with the mental load that really annoyed me and even when I talk about it now it seems really simple but it was when we were looking at getting solar panels put on our house and so you know they're relatively expensive we had a lot of discussions about it there's lots of different types of inverters and panels etc you can get we spent a lot of time together and independently doing research and then discussing it as to what we were going to get and then I think I'd made the initial call to one of the companies and the company we decided to go with. So I made the call back and said, oh, you know, we'd like to, you know, book in and and go ahead. And so he then emailed me the contract and the contract just required one signature. It didn't require two signatures, just one person to sign, send back and pay a 10% deposit. 
And so our printer at home wasn't working. And I, so I emailed it to my husband and said, can you print this out? And he came back that night or the next night, I can't really remember. And he said, oh, I printed that out for you. It's on the dining room table. And when I looked at it, he hadn't signed it. He hadn't emailed it back. He hadn't made any bank transfer for the 10% deposit or even thought about that. And from his perspective, he'd done what I'd asked. Like I said, can you print this out? And he printed it out. But from my perspective, why does it have to be me to realize that the next step is actually just to sign it when you're standing in front of the printer fax scanner machine, scan it back, email it back, you know, pay the deposit. Why does that have to follow me to kind of divvy up every individual thing? But to him in this instance, it seemed like such a minor thing. Like all I had to do then was sign it and scan it back. Why was I so annoyed that he hadn't done it? And so what that sort of taught me is, uh, to me, that was, that was one of my big wake, wake up calls about, hang on, I, somehow I've just become, you know, the CEO and I just give, give out tasks, but I, you know, I'm in charge of absolutely everything. And my husband, who's very capable and very keen to be involved, just had reverted to this position of just doing whatever task I asked and probably because I asked a lot of tasks because it was all in my head so I was just giving them out and he was you know doing as he was told so it was getting to that point of well how do we get it so we both take equal responsibility for this and so one one thing was you're yeah, having you know a conversation and just explaining like why I'm annoyed about this because from the outset I'm kind of annoyed about a fairly simple thing, but from my point of view, I'd done all of this work, all of these other little jobs that were just happening because I was just doing them. And then the one thing I asked, you know, the, the next two steps after that weren't done. And so, yeah, often I think with the mental load, we go and go and go and we just keep doing it until sort of a breaking point. And then you might sort of have quite a heated discussion, argument about it, but nothing really changes because you've sort of, had it at a point in time where neither of you were kind of open to hearing the other person's perspective. So I think learning as much as you can about the mental load and having sort of a language around it so that you can have a, a discussion with your partner is really important. Um, and you might even encourage them, you know, your partner to listen to like a podcast about the mental load or, or read an article, have a look at, you know, the Emma cartoon, which is quite famous. Um, although written certainly very much from the woman's perspective, but just to see if they can grasp that situation of what it is. And then from there, sort of working beyond that. The other thing that I think is sometimes helpful for men and women who, you know, don't, haven't read a lot about the mental load or, or for whom it's still quite a novel concept is to bring it back to sort of a work situation. And so, you know, in any workplace, all that organization of tasks, you know, making phone calls, allocating jobs, deciding on contracts, scheduling activities, working out what needs to be done, you know, planning for the next three months, getting everything done in, you know, a specific time frame, all of that is actually counted as work. You know, people are paid to do all of that. And so in that Emma cartoon that I just referenced, and maybe we can put a link to it um, for this episode, it, there's a one cartoon picture where she says you know at work once I started managing projects I quickly stopped participating them participating in them I didn't have time and so it's that idea that you know the organization of tasks is work in itself and so even if you sort of split physical tasks relatively evenly if the mental load and the organization isn't split then it's still not a fair division yeah, I've actually seen that cartoon that you're referencing. We will put it in the show notes. Uh, it's a very powerful, it's quite a long cartoon, but it's definitely very powerful. Mm. And it's so true that, yeah, when you do, when you are running projects, you may not then get involved in the operational part because you were focused on definitely other, other components. And it is, and mums, I think, certainly are the, the project manager, the CEO of the household. Um, and it's it's one of those elements, I think, as well as fallen on, from a stereotype of society of, of where we're at and I think it's an interesting point in the road that we are of we are starting to change that status quo of questioning why is it always the mother that takes all the parental leave also how can we encourage more fathers to take parental leave um, mm. because then they will also 
understand what the mental load's like. And I have actually done a, a podcast with a father who he's also realized and accepts a lot more of that mental load because he has been the predominant primary carer um, with his wife um, then uh, working more. So it's been interesting as well hearing the other side of when fathers have taken the parental leave, they've realized what load the mother's taken and then they've been able to probably swing the pendulum back to themselves a bit more. So it's interesting as well, I think even from a stereotype of society of roles, how, as you were saying at the start, it's been ingrained in us from almost birth based on our gender. Yeah. And like in, you know, in the last generation, there has been a change. And so in, you know, in women's participation in the workforce. So correspondingly, there needs to be a change in, you know, division of labour in the household. But it's something that more so even than, you know, women in the workplace, household and relationships and what you do at home is so much sort of ingrained and you just often continue on even subconsciously habits that you've witnessed and you've watched amongst your own family or, or friends that it just it's I think in some ways it's harder to disrupt that and change that in your household environment than perhaps in the workplace where there's more kind of systemic structures in place that might you know allow change at home there's so much sort of cultural conditioning social conditioning that goes on that sort of acts in the background all the time yeah and so you've talked about the the moment with the solar panels with your husband mm. how did how was then that the the impetus for change so then you could then have then that discussion with him and then really where the mental load project was then born from as a result of that and what what were the steps and strategies you took so that's a good question because I think I've often thought, well, I got to a point where I realised something needed to change. But actually there was probably a point where my husband said, hang on a minute, you're just always nagging, your, you you know, always seem annoyed about these things that are so small, like we can't just continue like this. And I think it was him realising that he couldn't, like that we couldn't just continue in this sort of state of, you know, managing most of the times and then sort of having times when it, you know, I just get annoyed and he wouldn't know what to expect and it wasn't really fair on either of us. Um, so it was at that point, I think, was when I said, like I said, I started researching. I thought, well, when, you know, we're certainly not the first, you know, two dual working couple, you know, we're not the first a couple to ever, you know, have children and continue our careers. So there must be a way that we can manage this. And especially because like, um, you know, the mental load, you know, as a concept after the Emma cartoon and a couple of podcasts, like it's kind of became, you know, well, I first heard about it probably in 2017. And so I thought, you know, it's a couple of years have passed. People will have had ideas how we can manage this. I'll just, you know, work it out, you know, maybe read a book, whatever needs to take, you know, do, and then we can, we can work through it. And then it was that point when I realized that we, we needed to do something and it wasn't just annoying me now, like it was also like troubling him, the fact that, you know, he didn't know when he was next going to get in trouble, if, you know, for one of better words, like when I was next going to be annoyed about something because it all seemed quite trivial to him. But from my perspective, like I just keep going and going and then something small would, you know, just be the, that, you know, straw that broke the camel's back. And so I thought, look, it's been a couple of years since I first came across the concept of the mental load. It's been a couple of years since there were some podcasts about it, um, some articles in the newspaper, the Emma cartoon. Surely someone has, you know, written a book or, you know, found a solution for this. And if I can just, you know, use what they did, you know, there'll be a solution. Like, I'm sure we're not the first couple to experience this. There must be, you know, a solution out there. But all I really found were, you know, a couple of articles about, you know, I dropped the mental load and then for a week I came back and the house was a mess. Everyone I needed to take away for a week or things like this. There was nothing that really said like a solution to it. There were a couple of things that were like, oh, you know, if the father, more time off early in the baby's life they're more involved at you know one or two years of age some research around that but my issue was 
when you get to the point of imbalance, whether that's because of differences in parental leave or whatever it might be, how do you come back from that point? So yes, there might've been some more constructive things we could have done earlier on around the time when our daughter was born, but that was the point of how do we get to get back from this point where we have an imbalance to get to the point of having a more shared mental load. And I, I think, look, maybe it gets back to, you know, what I said early on, like I, I do like solving problems and I really thought, you know, there must be a way I'll just you know, try and nut it out. And I drew on a few sort of strategies that I'd come across, you know, personally or professionally um, looking at, habits and changing habits sort of neuroscience around changing habits to see if I could you know get to something deeper that wasn't just this or how do you um you know even up the tables you know how do you just make a list for each person and they just do it you know I wanted to get beyond that to how do we actually both carry equal mental loads and so I, I developed this sort of strategy that I applied first to myself to try and unload and try and sort of give up some of the mental load I was carrying and then had discussions with my husband as to you know what would be fair and and how we could divide things up and you know we sat down and looked at you know all of the things that had to be done how we could divide them up who for whom was you know one thing more important than another and so for example just from a day-to-day thing like for my husband, he really likes eating nice food and having a meal to look forward to at the end of the day. Whereas, you know, I just like having clean clothes and knowing that, you know, the laundry is done and the sheets are nice and fresh at least once a week or once every two weeks. <laughs> and so yeah. that was <laughs> the decision that I would take on all the laundry and remembering, you know, when things needed to be done, you know, sorting out if it was a rainy day, what we were going to do about that. Just, you know, well, the, just planning of that. Uh, and my husband would do all of the meal preparation for the evening meal and all the, the shopping, the planning, the thinking about it and the cooking. And, you know, if he's not home at night, he'll tell me, you know, oh, this is in the fridge to make up or whatever. You know, we help each other out. But the core responsibility of who is responsible for it has shifted. And that really, like, I didn't expect that I would be able to like mentally offload as such as quickly as I could. And it was only, you know, a few weeks after doing this that I, you know, I realized that actually I'd stopped thinking about things like the cooking. I, I wasn't, you know, it just wasn't popping up in my head. One example that I've told a few people is like, it was probably two months after we'd done this and I had a presentation at work just for like a little lunchtime education thing and often, you know, in the past for that type of thing, I would, you know, bake some muffins or something to take in. It's not required, you know, it's all supposed to be just, you know, you bring your own lunch and sit down and listen to the PowerPoint presentation. It's not required at all, but I, maybe it's that emotional labor again. I just would often cook something and take it in, in in previous years. And this time, like the week before my rostered week, I thought, oh, I should make some muffins next week, bring them in. And then, you know, the Wednesday morning came around and I'd done my presentation. I was all prepared for it, but I just hadn't even thought about making muffins. And it was just because I hadn't been thinking about food. I hadn't been thinking about meals. I hadn't been thinking about any of that. And that's when I realized, hang on a minute, this is work. Like, I'm just not thinking about this. This is, you know, I have my mental energy is not going to this. And at the same time, I noticed that my husband was having kind of you know, bringing stories home from work that he discussed with people at work being like, oh, you know, so-and-so, you know, there's so many vegetarian meals a week and, oh, someone else, they've got a worm farm because they have so many like food scraps so we could get a worm farm and it would help with our food scraps. And I was like, oh, you actually, you must be thinking about like food more because you're now having these conversations just like every day, you know, they're not deeper meaningful conversations, but he's just, obviously it's become, you know, something he's, that's on his mind because he's now talking to other people about it just in everyday conversation. And that was when I really thought this has worked and this seems to sort of be sustainable. And so, and actually we have like followed this step-by-step process to get to this point using those psychological strategies and getting to a point where we've changed our thinking. This same you know process can be reproduced and so that's when I sort of told some friends and my sister 
and when it sort of worked for them, that's when I thought, oh, hang on a minute, this could be something that could be more valuable to other people. I, you know, I'll set up oh, initially the blog, but then when that didn't work, you know, the business so that I could share it um, more widely. Oh, fantastic. And, and so was your husband then accepting, obviously he's, he, by the sounds of it, he's enjoying the mood, um, the mood, uh, meal preps. Is that something that um, came easy to him or was he resistant at the start or was he was understanding the mental load that you were under and then he realised, okay, we do actually need to even up this a little bit more? I think from a principal's point of view, he was, you know, happy to accept that it should be 50-50. You know, uh, we're both doctors. We're both still doing our specialty training. So we both still have, you know, those extra requirements required of us to, you know, meet the college requirements so that we can become specialists. We've, you know, we went through med school at the same time. We graduated at the same time. Everything to that point had been fair. So from the principle of the matter, yes, he was you know, in agreement, I don't think he really realised what the mental load was. And I think that that's quite common for men because it's not something that they've really thought about or experienced to the same degree. And so that was probably novel. And even now he sort of says, oh, it's not that much work. But I think that's because it's only ever been 50-50. Like I think it's only problematic when it's you know, almost a majority, when it's almost 100%, then it's so much. When it's 50-50, it's actually manageable for both people. And on top of that, when it's 50-50, you don't have that resentment building up because like now if I do something, then it's actually more likely that he'll say thanks because he'll realise that actually that required a bit of thought and, and planning for it to happen. Or, you know, if he does something, then I'll acknowledge that, oh, thanks for booking the car and, you know, I'm we just I think are both more aware of what needs to be done to keep everything running and so we're both more appreciative of that and it's just taken away that element of I guess just being tired and fed up and you know resentful of of an unfair situation and once that's gone it's actually that probably even lightens the mental load even more because you just yeah can just get on with doing what it is and you don't sort of those negative emotions that can just arise when you feel like something's unfair dissipate yeah and and is it something as well that how did you feel in actually letting go because I know sometimes as even as a female as a mother you think okay right I'm just going to get in and do it it's easier if I do it Mm -hmm. did you have to subconsciously say no I need to step back and actually grapple a little bit more with your internal emotions of no we've said we're going to divide this I know that I could do it quicker but I'm just going to stand back because this is what we've committed to yeah absolutely and that is quite difficult sometimes because again we've been conditioned to do it for so long and we're just in these habits so that's where sort of the strategies that I employed around letting go and actually not not thinking about it sort of it's um, reversing these entrained habits that I had. How did I, allowed me, I guess, to let go. And I think that's really important because that in turn allowed my husband, I guess, the time and the space to learn and, and take it on. Because like, I can't say, you know, that it was like, there was no major problems, but, you know, I remember in the first couple of weeks, I I think he'd mentioned that it was going to be chicken or something for dinner and that he, he was going to get out of the freezer or something like that. And I remember thinking, oh, the chicken's still in the freezer. I could go and get it out. But then I thought, no, I'm not going to because then it will just be out. And again, it won't even be, it won't have transferred into his mind. And so, you know, I just let it go. And then we had, you know, something else for dinner. I can't even remember what, you know, it doesn't really matter. And then, you know, the next week he remembered to get the chicken out because it's something that's, you know, we've been so entrained to think about and just do. We do have to allow a bit of space and time to, you know, allow for that learning to happen. And really, like, learning sounds a bit patronising, but just, you know, in the same way that we have to retrain ourselves not to think about it, I think our partners have to train themselves to think about it. And if we keep stepping in, in that process, then that doesn't allow them to actually put it in their brains, you know, and form those new 
thinking processes that they require. Yeah. And actually get used to it and normalize it as well. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Um, do you use strategies? I know that my husband and I, we live off a Google calendar um, as a shared diary because if it's not in the calendar and we did this even before we had children um, as a way of rather than just me wearing the load of being the social secretary, um, I was like, look, friends gave us this hint of oh, use a calendar, both put things in and then that way it's not depending on one person or the other. And it has really worked for us. Um, my husband will look forward, like, you know, want to do something with someone. He's like, oh, we've already got this on the other weekend. He's like, what is this? Like that I'd already put an activity that he wasn't aware of. <sighs> that for us in terms of calendar scheduling has really lightened the load and also made it even between both mm. of us. Often I'll do the, say, some of the meal planning for the week, uh, but my husband will often do the cooking. Um, it's just part of mm. the shared responsibilities because early on I said to him, I'm not doing it all. We need to, I was very open and honest. I said, I can't do everything and I don't want to. We, you also need to, we, we're a team at this and we need to have a team mentality around running a household and, and being um, parents. Uh, and he was very, I was very lucky that he's on board with that. But also we chat with friends and, you know, my husband's probably some of the minority of actually of how much cooking he does. So it's interesting as well, some of the stereotypes uh, of also overcoming it to, to normalise uh, some of that, but also then sharing that mental load. Mm. Yeah, look, I think um, that that organisation in terms of just scheduling is one big part of the mental load. So personally, we still use a hard calendar hung up you know a paper calendar hung up in the kitchen um, and put all of our shifts and social stuff on there Uh, but I do think that yeah having that organization as a mental load shared is also really important yeah it's it's definitely um I think it's made it easier for us and Mm. and even um in terms of perceptions um like we share the the childcare drop-off and pickups because I said, because people go, it was one of those societal things of, oh, you're the mum, you're going to do all the drop-offs and pick-ups. I said, no. I said, like, I've still got a career that I'm I'm still passionate about. Uh, I may only work three days a week, but I'm still passionate about it. Uh, mm. And then I've said, you know, my, my husband, no, we, we've got to share it and even share um, sick days. Uh, our our mm. son was two weeks ago. He was sick. And it worked one day for my husband to him to take the, the sick day and the carer's leave and then with his schedule. And then the next day it worked better with my schedule. Um, and we're lucky that um, we're able to do that. But I was like, just because I'm the mother, and I think it's also some of those things of, of ingrained of those stereotypes. And it's a topic I'm also very passionate about of just because you're the mother doesn't mean that you have to wear the mental load and take all responsibility. We're in mm. a, it took two to tango. So we should both be able to share the responsibility as parents, but that's my personal opinion. So, um, oh, yeah. No, I think like one of my mantras is that like working parenthood is challenging, but like working motherhood shouldn't be any harder than working fatherhood. No. Like if everything is shared at home, both the mental load and the physical load and, you know, the caring responsibilities, if, if everything's shared, respons- you know, fairly at home, then it shouldn't be any harder to be a working mum than it is to be a working dad. Exactly. Yeah. I actually travelled um, with work. I've, um, I travel occasionally and people say to me, well, how's your husband going to go looking after your son? And I said, he's going to be fine. Like he's, and, and yeah. when I've then passed that on to my husband, he almost takes it as an insult of, well, why can't I look after him? And, and when uh, I come back and last work trip, I was away for, for four nights. He, um, he, I'm like, you're right. He goes, yeah, and he took it as almost, a, a, it's a badge of honour to him that, yep, he was doing all the drop-offs, pickups, baths, everything to care for our child for that week. And he did a fantastic job. And he really takes it as, a, as, as I said, a badge of honour um, for carrying that load. And I think it also made him realise how hard it can be as a single parent. Mm. Um, but it's, it's some of those things not everyone has those scenarios to deal with. And, and often it is as well. It's the father that's travelling um, so it's, it is, and some of this as well, it's the stereotypes of society and, and changing those norms. So I think also by sharing mm. the mental load, starting at home, uh, is, as you said earlier, it's a challenge, but it can also probably lead to, to bigger and better things elsewhere as well. 
Look, definitely. Like I do think that the inequality in mental load does affect our careers. And so, you know, there's so many things that can change on a systemic level, societal level to try and even out the gender pay gap, etc. But I think, you know, what I what I thought personally is I don't want to wait until you know x law is passed or this change happens like we need to look at what we can do ourselves right now to work towards equality and for us that was equalizing the mental load at home and at least we've done what we can and we're setting that example for our daughter and in the same way as you know your son has seen that daddy can do all of that in the same way as mummy can do all of that and what I hope is the more we can do that the more you know for our children's generation, it, we, you know, there won't be a course about how to share the mental load. Like my business would not be required because it would just happen automatically. Yeah. So just on that, uh, how have you then found uh, with your daughter that becoming has then changed your perception of work and career? Has it made you stronger in a certain way to obviously then follow on the mental load? And, and in that, what surprised you as well? So, yes, I, I think the surprising thing was just, you know, like I don't think I, despite, you know, having worked with children for so long, I, you know, hadn't fully appreciated like how sort of tiring it can be <laughs> to actually be a parent. Yep. <laughs> and I think that's, you know, probably true of almost every parent can say that. Um, so it was probably that that was most like that most surprising just you know the the um uh, just realizing what it's like you know 24 7 I think it has yeah forced me to think about what example I'm setting for our daughter and I've got a friend whose mum actually did work from a young age full-time uh, when she was younger and I often think of her because she talks about how she can now see the benefits for her mother having done that in terms of where her mother was able to progress to in her own career and the kind of financial independence and, you know, lifestyle that that has now afforded her now that she's, you know, close to retirement age um, compared to, you know, some of her mum's friends who perhaps didn't. And just seeing, like, and this particular friend, I feel has much less of that sort of guilt that I see, you know, I see in myself sometimes and I see in, in other friends. And so I think, I think about that often because I think, you know, our children see, you know, learn more from what they see and from what they experience and, you know, what we can tell them. And so just by doing this, I'm hoping that, you know, as our daughter grows up, it will just be normal. And if she chooses to have children or not, and if she chooses to work or not, it will just be a choice for her. And it won't be, you know, it won't have all that extra, you know, ingrained, I guess, thoughts that you have about it. That being said, like, I must say, um, both my mother and my mother-in-law are entirely supportive of, you know, what we're doing and you know whatever choices we were to make so I don't think it's I can't say that it's because you know that some of my feelings are because you know I'm think that other people are judging me so much as you almost judge yourself based on years of conditioning <laughs> um and so that's probably yeah what um what I'd hope you know for um you know to be able to guide for the next generation that's really interesting. And what challenges have you faced um, across the different stages of pregnancy, even parental leave, and then returning to work? And how have you overcome this? Other than the mental load. Look, I think I was, yeah, yeah, I was really, really lucky um, in terms of pregnancy and um, delivery. You know, I was had a very smooth journey, so very, very grateful for that. Uh, I think the um, challenge that um, was when I returned to work and just working out how to how to be present at work um, and present at home and still you know uh, still make progress in my career I guess it would be I would be able to you know just kind of plod along and continue where I'm at if I wanted to but I think there's still goals that I want to achieve you know and so the challenge was working out 
how to do them, but working out how to do them in a sustainable way too and realising that I might not make as quick progress as I maybe did pre, you know, pre being a mum. And, you know, just everything, I guess, has an opportunity cost involved. So just, you know, making conscious decisions at a time and knowing that there'll be flexibility and ability to change, you know, in years to come too. Yeah. And, and being a doctor, do you work, uh, and a paediatrician, do you work shift uh, hours? And how do you go about managing the, the childcare um, and even the care for your child? Because it's one thing that um, always amazes me is, is with shift workers and, um, and particularly doctors. I look at my own obstetrician, the hours that she works, I'm like, and she's got two young children. I'm like, my hat off is to anyone that's outside because I guess society's set up for the nine to five worker. Mm. Um, and I'm always interested and also at awe of the tribes that no doubt would be around you to actually allow you to fulfill those career goals. Yeah, and look, that's probably what it is. Just, I think we wrote down um, nine people on our daughter's enrolment form for kindy who could pick up a drop yeah. off. <laughs> I think we just kept like adding more um, between you know two sets of grandparents, um, uh, my sister, my sister-in-law, a neighbour, and ourselves. I think we ended up with nine, and even beyond that, I've had you know other friends and neighbours say, oh, if you get stuck, then, you know, just call on us, we're here. And so, look, I have to be incredibly grateful for that. And really, it wouldn't work without that because, yeah, our, our hours don't align with, you know, the standard hours. To be honest, the last 12 months that I've been working, I've had very nice day shift hours. So there's different rotations we go through um, as an advanced trainee in paediatrics. And so one requirement is what they call community time. So mainly outpatient work. So, you know, seeing kids in clinic and that doesn't have a lot of, you know, it's had the occasional weekend, but nothing, you know, no night shifts or evenings. And so that was, you know, a dream. (laughs) Um, And so that then only meant relying on, you know, my fitting around my husband's hours and, you know, the on-call and shifts that he had. But this coming year, it will be a bit of a juggle because we're both doing different shifts and different odd, odd hours. And so we've just, yeah, got the nine people. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, I must say, the other thing that, again, you would think because I work with children, I would appreciate this more. But, like, our daughter has been so adaptable and so resilient Uh, and so happy to have you know all these people in her life that I think initially I was more worried about oh like what will she think and how will she cope but actually like I sort of say to her oh it's Thursday today who's going to come and play with you today she'd be like mama which is grandma like no no that was last week I said it's nanny today so the other grandma yeah (laughs) and so she does you know even at 18 months she kind of has a bit of an idea of what's going on and and the shifts will be a whole new thing because I won't always be there to put her to bed and, and that sort of thing when I'm working evening shifts but I do sort of the fact that she's coped so well up until now I do think you know she'll be fine and that's what like other advice I got from mums and, and women that I respect older than me and with children older than me uh, when I was even first deciding to go back to work the advice was you know do what you want to do um, because you know your children will be fine and it's so true that you know we can obsess over all little little details but you know children grow up in all sorts of different environments and so long as they have loving caring you know environments then it doesn't really matter the you know day-to-day intricacies within that yeah, they're pretty adaptable little little human beings. It's, it's, I think sometimes as well, or even a lot of the time as mothers, I think we worry about it a lot more of, oh, and think about all the different scenarios. Where to our children, they know that I'm the same. Like on a Thursday, the grandparents come and he, he said, here's the knock at the door. He knows someone's there and he's like, okay, right, I'm with my grandma or my nan or my nanny today and it's amazing. I think it's more us at the start of mum guilt that we yeah. worry about it more than and probably the children because they are so resilient and so adaptable. Mm, exactly. And so you've said um, you got you sought advice about when I'm um, going back to work. What advice would you give your younger self about starting a family? I think that um, I would say, you know, that thing, it is sort of 
more tiring and more time consuming than I think anyone can appreciate. But, you know, on the other hand, there's, there's so many wonderful things as well. So a very good friend gave me advice years ago, I think even when we were still in med school. Um, and she said, look, Rob, there'll never be a good time in our careers to have children. So you just should do it when it's the right time for you, for your relationship, for your life. And I think that's true. Like, you know, there's been challenges and, you know, in some ways, you know, you look back and we think, oh, if only we had, you know, waited longer than, you know, we would have had more exams or, you know, this particular training requirement out of the way or we'd be in this position. But really, there'd only be new challenges in that position. And so I think there's opportunity costs, but there's so many benefits. And so I would just say, you know, that, There'll be lots of unexpected things, but you just sort of have to roll with it, enjoy what comes up and, you know, it will all work out. It'll work out, definitely. So you sound like one of the most busiest people because you've got a full-time job, you've got now this side hustle with the Mental Load Project. What do you do for self-care and look after and have some Robin time? My biggest thing that I would say is mine and for my own self-care is yoga and meditation. And I think I first started even when I was an intern and I remember they, uh, the hospital I was working at, even in terms of their, in their orientation program, they had a you know, session on meditation and meditation techniques about mindfulness and just how, you know, how we could apply that as we're starting to have the increased stress of, you know, being interns in a busy hospital. And so I think that was something I really took on board and found useful at that point in time and that I've, you know, continued to a greater or lesser extent um, since then. You know, at times, for example, when I was working in Africa and, you know, I was away from family or when I've been doing rural rotations here and been away from support, I've always drawn back to the yoga and meditation as something for me and something that I get a lot out of. And so similarly, when since um, having a baby and having the challenges of, of motherhood, it's something that I've returned to. And, you know, I, I can't say I do it every day because, you know, there are so many like, things that are unpredictable that just happen. <laughs> but I aim for one yoga class a week and four meditation sessions in the morning a week. And as something that I can do that's not overwhelming. So it doesn't sort of put more pressure and more, you know, I must do this kind of load on but is something that I can actually just enjoy and you know yeah as you say fill my cup oh that's fantastic well Robin I think I could actually keep talking to you all day about this topic because we're both clearly very passionate about sharing the equal the mental load and making sure it's equal between both parents uh, and and what's happening around in, in you can see what's happening in society but also making sure that the mother's not wearing everything uh, and all the hats of CEO, um, chef, you name it, um, that it's that it's yeah. equally shared. So I have to say thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've really enjoyed talking to you. No, it's been great fun. And so where can people connect with you and the Mental Load Project? And I know you've got the course coming up, so tell us all about it. So... A best thing to do um, would be to join my email community. And so you can go to my website, which is mentalloadproject.com. Uh, there's a sign-up page there. Um, when you sign up to the email community, you can get a free downloadable guide, which is three top tips to mentally unload now. And then you'll also, just by being part of the email community, um, find out any new things that are coming up. I share sort of tips and tricks and stories every so often. Um, just keep that discussion about the mental load going so that, you know, we do have that language around it to have those important conversations. And then, as you say, um, Karina, I will open the next course soon. And so by being on the email list, you'll find all out all about that um, and not miss it. Um, you can also check me out on Instagram or Facebook at Mental Load Project. Well, thank you so much for your time and good luck uh, with the continuation of your studies and going back full time in the coming weeks. Um, I wish you all the best and I'm sure your tribe will be around you and uh, really support you out there and love to hear how you continue going in sharing the mental load with your husband. It sounds like you've done such a great job to change the conversation at home um, and then certainly make sure that you're both wearing um, all the hats equally um, and not just on yourself so thank you so much it's been a great discussion and um, I wish you all the best in the future
Thank you, Karina. And thank you for the opportunity to have the chat today. It's been wonderful. My pleasure. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks, Robin. Thank you for listening to the Working Mama podcast. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast catch-up. I invite you also to join the Working Mama community on Facebook and join in the conversation with other like-minded working mums. Please also feel free to contact me on any of the Working Mama social channels. Remember, Mama is M-U-M-M-A. Via Instagram at workingmama underscore AU or website www.workingmama.com.au. I would appreciate you to share this podcast with friends and colleagues, especially those that are parents managing the juggle. And I would really appreciate if you had to take the time out to leave a review of the podcast. I'll be giving a shout out to select people that do so. So stay listening and you might be one of them. Thank you and see you next time. Have a great week.